Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. It is Monday morning. That means we are back with another CIO strategy snapshot today, highlighting the most recent house view from the UBS Chief Investment Office. Joining me for the conversation, as always, glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, the Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, welcome back to Top of the Morning. Hope you enjoyed a nice weekend and thank you for joining us here to kick off another week. Good morning, Dan. Happy Monday. It's good to be here again. So, Jason, you're joining us, as mentioned, because the Chief Investment Office just released the latest house view this for the month of October. So the title, Back in Balance, posed as a question. Perhaps that's a good starting point, understanding the meaning behind that title. So what exactly are you asking with that question and what is CIO's answer? Well, if we kind of step back three months when we had our third quarter outlook we in june we titled it balancing act and the idea behind that was the economy and the fed in particular has to engage in a balancing act meaning if the fed wants to bring down inflation it has to tighten policy and keep policy restrictor for a while keep rates high for a while to ensure that inflation comes down same time it doesn't want a recession or at least an unnecessary recession uh, to bring inflation down so it doesn't want to over-tighten and risk tipping the economy into, into that recession. So it's that balancing act of getting policy tight enough to bring down inflation, not so tight as to cause a significant economic contraction worse than is necessary. Uh, so that was the question that we posed in June, or, or this, you know, the situation we said that was where it was. And well, now, if we fast forward three months later in mid-September, if we, we kind of ask the question, well, are we now kind of back into balance as the Fed have achieved its objectives? And certainly, well, today versus three months ago, you could say the economy is certainly much more back into balance. The inflation story has improved. Inflation has kind of come down steadily. Even after the August CPI data showed some you know, turbulence, the trend over the course of the three months is clearly towards you know, disinflation, and leading indicators suggest that will continue with some some bumps. Uh, even with more confidence, though, we could say that the uh, you know a soft landing or softest landing is likely or maybe you know, with higher conviction to say that the conditions are simply not in place right now for a recession to begin in the U.S. in the next 12 months. It could happen. It's not our, our base case. Uh, so those two things means the economy certainly is kind of back, closer to, to being back in balance. From a market's perspective, you know, one of the things we said it back in June was for the markets to go higher, for equities to rise higher, you need to have you know, no recession, which is you could check that off uh, for the time being. That at the time, the expectation was the Fed would hike twice more. They hiked once in July. Uh, unlikely to hike this week into September FOMC meeting. November is still on the table. So, you know, maybe two hikes in total, but not more than that. And then AI was a dominant driver for equity markets in the first half of this year. That story would have to continue to hold to prove that it wasn't just a pure kind of you know, bubble that was about to, to burst. And that, that's been the case as well. So for the markets as well, the macro environment has proved to sort of be somewhat balanced or getting towards a more kind of a balanced situation. Uh, and that's kind of reflected in the overall equity performance. You know, earlier in the summer, it's been sort of you know, flatter since once we kind of that, that scenario sort of come into play. But in answer to the question, are we back in balance? We'd say uh, from where we were before, that balancing beam has got a little bit wider. The economy has a kind of a wider path to achieve the soft landing. Uh, we think it's, it's that's kind of like the most likely scenarios. No recession in the next 12 months, a softish landing over that, that time period. Jason, with that macro backdrop in mind, what would you cite as being the risks to this soft-ish landing outlook? Well, I'd cite three kind of main risks. 
One is the potential for uh, oil prices to continue to go higher. You know, day by day, they've been creeping up. And, and since June, the one thing that would kind of go against our thesis or the story of kind of back in balance is that oil prices are up about 30%. You know, now around ninety dollars, uh, with the risk that they could continue to kind of grind a little bit higher, given that the economy is holding up and supply, especially from major producers like Saudi Arabia, is being constrained. So it's I think manageable now, but when oil goes higher, that is a essentially a tax on consumers. So that is a bit of a risk that they continues to escalate. Uh, the second is just the lagged effects of monetary policy. You know, one of the interesting questions that we addressed earlier in the summer is like, why hasn't there been a recession? Uh, and the number one factor that we cited was monetary policy perhaps just is not that restrictive, uh, that it took a while for the Fed to raise rates to a level that is clearly above some conjecture about what neutral policy would be. And at 5.5%, we think that's kind of certainly past that neutral level, but maybe not that far past. Uh, or it is, but you know, it takes 12 months once you get into that restrictive territory for the impacts to begin. So this kind of question of just how significant are the long and variable lags, there's still uncertainty about that. There's a risk that the, as the further we go into this year and certainly next year, those lagged effects will start to bite more and more. And, it, and they increase not in a linear fashion, but sort of exponential. So they're good, they're good, they're good, until all of a sudden they start to inflect. And once the pain starts to take hold, it accelerates kind of pretty quickly. So there, there is still that risk in the near-term horizon. And the third factor, I'd say it's more of a kind of a let's call it a um, clustering of just different ideas of whether different adverse shocks can materialize. Something going on with China. We've seen some you know, stress in the property markets. The latest data suggests perhaps that slowdown or the, the weakness that was experienced over the summer, that's actually kind of improving. But there's still problems with high debt levels. There's still questions about the property market sector. There's still the risk that China you know, growth could suddenly actually slow. Or there could be some sort of financial you know, issue there. You know, geopolitics remains always uh, you know, some sort of shock. Uh, or potential source of uh, negative shocks. Uh, we're seeing in the U.S. Uh, with the UW strike, the potential for a government shutdown, for the uh, reinstatement of you know, student loan uh, debt repayments, that the consumer could take a bit of a hit this fall. Couple that with all of these signs of the economy slowing down a little bit, that can also, you know, collectively be a bit of a shock to on the supply side, it's really to the consumer that could drag the economy down. So while we expect a soft landing, there's certainly identifiable downside risks from like monetary policy, oil prices, and then a series of potential adverse shocks to the economy as well. Quite a few risks there to be mindful of. So let's talk about the investment outlook a bit now that we have your macro outlook. What is, Jason, your investment outlook across asset classes? Well, I'll go back to the title of the report to your back in balance. The economy looks like it's getting more back in balance. Uh, what we also now think is the opportunity set across different asset classes is sort of more back in balance. And by that, I mean, uh, when we look at, you know, over the next six to 12 months, our expectations for a return for equities, for fixed income, for commodities, for alternative asset classes, they're all positive territory. Now, there's certainly a range, you know, you know across asset classes of the kind of returns we're talking about, how much risk you're taking, and even intra-asset class, there's definitely kind of relative opportunities, that some of which look more attractive than others. But from a broad asset class level, you know, we think there's opportunities in each of them, which means you know, one of the kind of the key messages that we've introduced this month is kind of to get back in balance, meaning you want to have you know, some allocations to on all of these different areas in your portfolio, given the overall macro outlook, given the outlook that we see across kind of asset classes. 
where we see the most attractive opportunities just on a risk return basis is in high quality fixed income. So bonds remain our most preferred asset class. The reason for that is we think you know, what the Fed you know, either done or at most one more hike, that rates are kind of the top end of the range they're going to be in for a while. Uh, so you're getting now for a treasury is a 10 year treasury at, you know, roughly four and a quarter, but for high quality investment grade corporate bonds or uh, preferred securities for mortgage backed securities for tips and asset class, we like real yields are quite elevated. So for relatively low risk fixed income, you get pretty attractive yields across the board. Uh, I think that, are, you know, so that's an attractive area that also if the economy does slow down as we think it will, the bias is for rates to go lower, not higher. So from a total return perspective, it's quite possible that over the next 12 months, you could be looking at high single digit to double, low double digit type of returns for something like investment grade corporate bonds, one of our more preferred asset classes. If we pivot from that to, you know, to equities, the, you know, the opportunities there, not quite as robust if we think of like U.S. equities, where our price target is 4,500 for year end and 4,700 for June. So basically flat to year end and low single digits to, to June. But we think there's, there's pockets you know, within U.S. equities, and especially if you look outside of U.S. equities, where I think there's kind of more upside opportunity, for example, in emerging market equities, which is right now is our most you know, preferred region. Then we can go to other asset classes like commodities. Again, we see some upside, you know, uh, continue going on with the price of oil. Alternative asset classes are also kind of in the place to continue to do you know, quite well from here. So I think the, the bottom line is, a balanced outlook across asset allocation because we see a positive you know, return outlook for the next six to 12 months across all the major asset classes. Okay. So with that in mind, Jason, positive returns expected across equities and bonds over the next six to 12 months, how should investors position accordingly? Put another way, what makes now such an opportune time for investors? Well, it is that fact that you can sort of get returns across different asset classes that makes it attractive. And that really is goes back to the, one of the new messages and focus we introduced this month, which was, you know, get in balance. Uh, you know, it's kind of a rare opportunity where, you know, you can see decent returns across all asset classes. So for those investors who are you know, sitting in a lot of cash and don't necessarily want to invest in risky asset classes, it's important to think about the, you know, the diversification benefits uh, and the potential returns, especially if the Fed and other central banks are done hiking and they start to cut at some point in next year, you know, cash will become certainly less attractive at that point in time, which kind of feeds into the second major uh, message, which is to manage liquidity. Uh, so it's not just a matter of sitting in cash, having an effective liquidity strategy remains important. Uh, and that really should be paired with a message we've been saying for a while, which is continues to be to buy quality bonds. Uh, I just alluded to, you know, the potential returns you can get from high quality investment rate over bonds, from, you know, mortgage-backed securities that are, Basically, government guarantee, but have a significant spread over treasuries. You know, even with the municipal bonds, you know, on a tax equivalent basis, they look quite attractive, especially as you go out further in maturity structures. So the idea of sort of barbelling your portfolio of, of yes, income uh, and, and relative you know, safety in cash instead of shorter maturities, but also that longer duration piece you know, gives you both yield, especially if you're willing to take a little bit of credit risk. Uh, but also total return potential if yields come down in a way that cash won't. If we then move to equities, the uh, you know message we've had for a few months is to look for those equity laggards. We still think that's the the right way to think about it. We've seen throughout the summer a more balanced performance across markets. It hasn't just been the AI story. It hasn't been the magnificent seven driving the markets higher. It's been much more you know diffuse. At the same time, while there's been some catch up in certain areas such as energy, a uh, sector where we think there's still more upside. 
we've liked equal weighted uh, S&P 500 equities relative to the market cap weight for a few months. It's performed kind of roughly in line after underperforming significantly earlier in the year. We think that's an area that still has a good upside. Uh, but one of the new messages we introduced this month was to pick leaders from disruption. So think of these as kind of long-term, kind of secular growth opportunities where we can see disruption in certainly with AI. Uh, and then we kind of move across the obvious AI winners to things such as, you know, platform companies that have network effects, you know, internet and software. Uh, but it's also kind of disruption in healthcare. Uh, you know, for example, with obesity drugs, that's, that's another area that we like and have a new theme outstanding. Uh, in energy transition, there's opportunities in, in sort of the renewable space. So we think there's, to kind of complement the cyclical kind of equity laggard story, from a longer-term secular perspective, there is a, you know, winner from disruption. We think there's opportunities there. And again, kind of balancing out your overall kind of portfolio. So those are kind of some of the ideas that we like. You know, can you think that alternatives offer good opportunities? Infrastructure, as uh, given some of the, the developments taking place in the U.S. economy with huge infrastructure investments, a lot of support from the CHIPS Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, and the Infrastructure Bill. So those also offer ways to, to kind of complement your portfolio. So a lot of it, a lot of different ideas, but I think it kind of making it consistent with kind of getting your portfolio back in balance and making sure you have exposure to different areas because we do see opportunities across the board in different pockets, and this is a good chance to make sure that you're capturing them in your portfolio. Thank you, Jason, for highlighting those messages in focus and recapping for us CIO's current allocation recommendations. As you pointed out, a lot there to consider. So do, of course, encourage our listeners, our clients especially, to get a hold of the latest UBS Houseview Investment Strategy Guide to read further into the allocation recommendations. Though, Jason, thank you for dropping by top of the morning here today to keep us current on the thinking from CIO when it comes to the macro, the market outlook. You're welcome. Have a great week. Likewise. Thank you, Jason. Again, today we have been joined by Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Again, I do want to point our clients of UBS to the latest UBS House View Investment Strategy Guide and Monthly Letter, which Jason has been making reference to during our conversation today. The title, posed as a question, Back in Balance, can now be located up on UBS.com slash CIO for your reference. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.